please be seated. No better day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. I just want to thank the church for coming out and supporting our graduates and those who are on the line. And I want to commend. And ask for God's blessing on these graduates who chose today to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Our guest speaker today is a native son of Key West. His family has been a foundation rock of this church for many, many years. I don't know if they were founding members, Miss Sandra, or you go far enough back, we could probably call that. Uh, but the Honorable Scott Russell will be speaking to the graduates today. Um, I had a lengthy introduction, but I'm going to allow uh, Mr. Russell to do that for himself. So please welcome the Honorable Scott Russell, our property appraiser. Well, thank you. Um, I would not. I sat where you guys sat some 35 years ago here at Fifth Street Baptist Church, all but in the uh, other sanctuary. So some of the old timers here are probably quite surprised that I was asked to give this baccalaureate speech. But good morning, all. I'd like to take a, take a moment to thank Fifth Street Baptist Church for the honorable opportunity to speak to you guys, the class of 2021, during this, your baccalaureate ceremony. I also want to take the time to thank my family who have supported me over the years, especially my wife, Diane, who without her, I would not be the man standing before you today. See, she, she has supported me throughout my journey and together has always been there for my daughter and I. See, Diane is not only my wife, but is also my best friend and truly the foundation of my family. I also want to thank my mother and father, Ms. Sanders in attendance today, who raised me in a Christian home and I started my journey here at Fifth Street Baptist Church approximately 50 years ago. It's been that long, yes. Fifth Street Baptist Church is actually where I met my future wife. We met in the Youth Services Program under the guidance of none other than Miss Elmira Lito. <laughs> she was instrumental in building my faith, and for that, me and my wife will always be grateful. Miss Elmira, thank you for all that you did for us. Oh, so and being offered the privilege and the opportunity to speak to you today isn't that a big privilege? And I did not take this lightly. My hope is to provide you with some words that are both inspirational, motivational, and words of faith. See, 35 years ago, I sat where you're sitting, here in these same pews. And, oh, if those of you that have a plan, congratulations. <laughs> you're already well ahead of where I was 35 years ago. See, because 35 years ago, as I sat amongst you, I had no plan, I had no idea, utterly rudderless <laughs> out in the ocean with no idea as to what I was going to do at that point in my life. Now what follows is a cliff note version of my life and how I ended up here in front of you today. Going way back, following the summer of my graduation in 1986, yes, I'm an old guy, so all was good. My friends were still in town. However, I personally had no idea as to what I was going to do with my life. But then what typically happens, the fall semester started and all of my friends went away to school. Well, that's when I realized that I needed a plan 
I needed some direction. I needed to do something with regards to my future. Well, then I went to my parents at that point in time and asked them if I could enroll in some courses at the local college, which was known as the Florida Keys Community College. Well, that in of itself was a very interesting conversation because my mother back there is going to blush here in just a few minutes. By I informed them upon graduation just a few months earlier that, quote, unquote, they had gotten 12 out of me. They were not going to get another one, 12 years being my years of attendance in school. Well, once they recovered from the shock, <laughs> they allowed me and they provided me the opportunity to, to attend a community college. And that is where my story begins. Well, at that point in time, there were very few options with regards to fields of study. So I took several classes, hoping to find something of interest. I did actually end up graduating FKCC, and I thought, well, everything was going to be okay. Everything was right. I had a path. But unfortunately, upon transferring to the university, Florida State University, and I began to take classes in the quote unquote, this is what I was going to do for the rest of my life profession, I realized that was not going to work for me. See, I was unhappy and looking for other options. Well, needless to say, I changed ma majors. Some of you may end up doing that as well, and I'm here to say it's okay. Things will work out. Upon changing majors, I moved forward and completing my studies. But in retrospect, again, this is where things get interesting. Now, forgive me, I have to give you a little context of the backstory of what it was like to attend college in the old days, back in the late 80s, early 90s. For you graduates here today, this will seem very strange, but there was a time, if you can imagine, where there were no computers, literally no computers. Windows was not yet widely available. And in to, roll, to enroll in classes there at the university, you had to dial in with a phone, a telephone number. And no, not a cell phone number, an actual corded landline. <laughs> so you had to dial a number to get into the system in order to register for classes. However, I believe that everyone at Florida State was dialing the exact same number. So it was quite, quite an ordeal. But needless to say, that meant hours and hours of sitting, hitting redial in hopes of not getting a busy signal. Well, by this time in my academic career, I was hoping to wrap it up. I wanted to finish school and get back to Key West to be with my family and the love of my life. Again, in retrospect, this is when God had a plan. I didn't realize at the time, but it was there. And trying and trying and trying to get through, I eventually did. I got through and I was able to enroll in classes. But when I went to select my desired class, it was full. Wow, took forever. But that was just the process, and I knew that I had to have a backup class. Well, that class was full as well. <laughs> so I had to actually, I know again this is hard to believe, break out the catalog, which is a printed bounded book that listed all of the acceptable uh, electives within my particular major. So I tried several of those randomly, and again, I ended up uh, being able to sign up for one. Now again, I want to go back and give some context here, because remember at this point in time of my young life, I wanted to get back home, uh, but these things, the situation, the system was making it difficult. I wanted to get back to my family. 
and as mentioned before, I was able to register for a class. However, it was a class that I had no interest in taking, zero, none whatsoever, but it was within my field of study, and so I signed up. And again, that is a point in which God's plan for me truly started to take shape. Again, I didn't notice it at the time, but those obstacles that I went through, the busy signal, the not able to get through, the classes being full, not being able to sign up for the classes that I wanted to sign up for, were all, I thought, obstacles, when they were not, in fact, obstacles. It was the detour that God had planned for me to put me on my path to where I needed to be. So, that being said, this elective I had signed up for turned out to be the turning point in my, not only my college studies, but I had found what I truly wanted to do. Now, as I sit here, I still remember specifically where I was sitting in the class. It would have been right over here. And the professor was talking about this profession. And this profession checked all of the boxes for me. He spoke to me. It sounded like he singled me out. Now, the other interesting part of this is this class I was enrolled in wasn't directly related to the profession, ironically. He was merely talking about it, but after hearing about it, I knew that it's exactly what I wanted to do. See, I had changed my major now. Yet again, I think we were on number three or four at this point, so, and I was headed down now a new path. But in closing here, I was now happy and was in a study, a field that I truly wanted to do. Now, I have been in that industry now for 30 years and honestly cannot imagine doing anything else. I have truly feel blessed to be able to do what I do, and it was God's direction and path that put me where I was. Because see, if, if I would have got through earlier, I may have signed up for one of those other electives. So I'm sure some of you, I think the introduction may have handled it, but if some of you are probably wondering what this chosen profession is, and that is actually as a real estate appraiser. <laughs> During my 30 years of appraising here in Monroe County, in the early years, I worked in the private sector and then transitioned to the public sector. And in January of 2013, I was elected by the people of Monroe County to be your property appraiser. So to recap, again, the graduates here of 2021, if you don't have a plan, trust in God, he will make your plan known. Those of you that make changes along the way, realize that it's okay. Those changes, those detours, could be, in fact, putting you on the right path. And lastly, know that your faith, your family, and your friends are there to support you in your journey. But don't be afraid to ask for guidance or help. Now, in closing, again, I want to thank Fifth Street Baptist Church for giving me the honor of addressing the graduates of 2021. And for that, thank you and God bless. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much. Wonderful. Thank you, Brother Scott. That's not rain. We just need to shut off his mic. There we go. All right. I've got a message this morning for our graduates, but also for God's people, the church. Because you all are 
growing and making decisions, and you're going to be going to some new adventures. Whether you go into the military or into the workforce or into more education, all of you are taking a step into the future. The rest of us also regularly have to take steps and choose to walk a path that God provides for us, as Brother Scott had mentioned. What's interesting, when we think of leadership, which is a common topic today, if you were to go on Google or Amazon, tens of thousands of books and articles exist that that tell us how we should lead. How can I be an effective leader? How can I lead in a way that that gathers a following? How, How do I be the very best possible leader that I can? And when you all go away and go to college or the military or serve in the, in the community and the workforce, you're going to have people that are going to tell you this is how you lead. And you may receive that training formally or you might receive it informally just through a mentorship or apprenticeship or things of that nature. But not many people realize and recognize that the Bible, God's book, God's letter to us, is the best book on leadership on this planet. And so this morning... I'm going to give you seven qualities of a godly leader. These especially apply to our graduates, but also to all of you, because God's called you to lead in this world and and to lead people toward Jesus Christ. I was reading an article uh, this week by uh, Lifeway Publishing Company that talked about these qualities and was inspired to bring this up to you today. So, how do I, as a believer, as a, as a follower of Jesus, how do I lead God's way? Not in the way that the world says I should lead, but how do I lead in a way that pleases the Lord? Well, I have seven ways that we can do that today. Number one, you've got to believe in something bigger than yourself. One of the most deleterious habits that we may develop is a myopic view of the world and of our place in this world. Why are we tempted to engage in this habit? Well, life happens. Things break down. People fall short. And we're left in a panic and focused on the very small things of our life when in fact God calls us to look at the big picture We're going to turn to the life of the Apostle Paul. You remember him. You read about him in the New Testament. Paul had a knack for believing in things that are bigger than himself. And specifically, one very important thing. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2, Paul says, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That was the single most important thing in Paul's life. Paul recognized that his relationship with Jesus saturated and directed every single aspect of his life, his family life, his friend life, his work life. All of it was influenced by the Lord Jesus and his relationship. Jesus was the Lord, the leader of his life, and Paul demonstrated that fact through his ardent dedication to God's call to fulfill a mission. You see, God had placed a special mission on Paul's life. 
Paul describes it in Colossians 1, 28 and 29. He says, We proclaim Him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to His power, which mightily works within me. Paul lived his life to fulfill God's calling upon it. God's mission for him. And so, number one, if you want to be a godly leader, keep your eyes focused on the Lord and follow Him through life. There will be many, many people, many, many movements that will beckon you and call you to follow them into the future. But if you want to be an effective leader for the Lord, follow Him first. Number two, build on what God has given you. Perhaps you've read about the man in the, New Test- or the Old Testament named Nehemiah. He was known for building a wall. You see, Nehemiah lived in the lap of luxury as a servant of the Persian ruler, King Artaxerxes. He was one of the most powerful kings in the world at that day. And Nehemiah's job serving that king was a good job. His heart was broken, however. You see, the walls around his hometown of Jerusalem were broken down, leaving his people to be vulnerable prey to surrounding nations. And so while Nehemiah sat at the king's feet, he wept for his people. Nehemiah heard the call from the Lord to approach King Artaxerxes and to ask him to leave his post to go back and to build this wall. And so he went and asked him and, and, and followed God by faith into this conversation that very well could have left Nehemiah dead if the king didn't appreciate what he asked him. Not only did the king send him out to build his wall, but he paid for it. Nehemiah recognized the position of power that God had granted him, and by faith, he took a step and fulfilled God's calling. Now, when Nehemiah was in Jerusalem building the wall, very soon after, some naysayers came and they approached him on the wall. And they said, Nehemiah, you're a fool. Come down from this wall and come and meet with us. Nehemiah's answer in The book of Nehemiah, chapter 6, verse 3, was pretty awesome. He said, So I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave and come down to you? Leaders, remember the wall that you've been assigned to build and build it. And do not let this world and the people of this world and the naysayers of this world convince you to leave what God has called you to do. Number three, bring the best people to the table. As a leader, it's important for you to recognize the people in your life who will encourage and equip you to be a godly leader. Bring those people into your life and bring them to your table. Who are the best people 
to bring to the table? That's the question we have to answer. We have to look back into the Old Testament to two men named Caleb and Joshua. As the Israelites, led by Moses, approached this land promised to them by God, God told them to appoint 12 men, 12 leaders, representing each of the tribes of Israel to go out and to spy the land. So 12 men were appointed by God to go into this land promised to them and to spy it out, to look and see what it was about. And the spies returned. Ten of those spies stood in front of the people. Even though God had promised Israel that He was going to give them that land, ten stood in front of God's people and said, we cannot go into that land. The the men there and the army is giant. Their walls are too big. They're too powerful and we're too small. We cannot win a battle against these people. And all of Israel heard what they said and supported that. Well, in the midst of this, Joshua and Caleb, the other two spies of the twelve, stood in front of the people of Israel, and by faith, this is what they said in Numbers 14, 6-10. Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb, Caleb the son of Jephunneh, of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, then He will bring us into that land, and He will give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Leaders, bring the right people to the table with you. Not the people that necessarily are going to follow popular opinion. Bring the people that are going to tell you what you need to hear. That are going to offer you godly counsel. They're not always going to make you feel good. But they're going to tell you what you need to hear from the Word of God. Effective, godly leaders surround themselves with godly people who tell them what they need to hear. Number four, bridge the gaps of differing opinions. Leaders live, and I know Brother Scott could attest to this, with a constant tension of competing needs, don't we? We live in a tension of having to make decisions that always leave someone unhappy. Sometimes the decisions you make are going to be cut and dry. There'll be a word from the Lord and it'll make sense and you're going to make a decision and you'll know this is right and everyone else will agree with you. The answer will be clear and the evidence in favor of that decision will be overwhelming. Many times, in fact I would say most times, leaders have to navigate a decision-making process influenced by differing opinions. The godly leader bridges the gaps of differing opinions and brings people together. The Bible describes a man in the New Testament named Barnabas. 
What was Barnabas' nickname? What, what, what did his name mean? Does anybody know? Son of encouragement. We all need a Barnabas in our life, by the way. And Paul had a Barnabas in his life, and it was actually Barnabas. You see, Paul, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he wasn't always someone in support of Jesus. Did you know that? Before Paul was saved and followed Jesus, he was, in fact, one of the greatest persecutors of the first century church. He had people jailed, put to death. He ran people out of town. He separated families. He was a horrible, horrible man. Well, on the road to Damascus, Paul meets Jesus. Paul saved radically and given a mission by Jesus to go out and proclaim the gospel. Paul finds his, his way back into Jerusalem. Big surprise, the people of Jerusalem, the believers, are terrified of Paul. They don't want to talk to him. They don't want to worship with him. When he comes in the room, they walk out of the room. They don't really know if he's legit. Is he a real believer? Is this just pretend so he can arrest me? Well, along comes Barnabas in Acts chapter 9. This is what Barnabas did for Paul. But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. Barnabas was a prince or a man of peace. He bridged the gap between Paul and the Jerusalem church and he brought them together for the glory of God and for the advancement of the kingdom. A godly leader brings people together whenever we can. Number five, blind your eyes to petty criticism. Oh, church, oh, petty criticism is rampant in the world we live in today. Everybody's got an opinion about everything. It doesn't matter if you're a doctor or not. You've got an opinion about COVID. You might not be a, a mechanic, right? But you've got an opinion on how your car should be fixed. We all have an opinion, right? And as we walk through life, as we lead people, we are going to undergo criticism. You need to blind your eyes to petty criticism. Godly leaders will always be the target of criticism. It comes part and parcel with our leadership of people. The key to being a godly leader is to set aside petty criticism and to receive constructive criticism. One thing that stands out in the book of Exodus is the way that the Israelites constantly criticized Moses. If you go back and read the book of Exodus, poor Moses, man, he couldn't win. One day they were complaining that they didn't have enough water, so he got them water. Then later they're complaining that they didn't have enough food, so manna rained down from heaven. Well, then they got tired of the manna, then they wanted meat, so then birds were provided for them to eat. And then they were tired of that meat, they just wanted to go back to Egypt. After that, they were tired of walking, tired of moving, tired of walking and following God by faith. And at this point in Exodus 18, Moses literally spends all day, every day, listening to the people complaining about each other. He's sitting in judgment. 
wasting away and tired. His father-in-law, Jethro, comes, brings his family back. Jethro offers Moses some constructive criticism. In Exodus 18, 17-24, he says, Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing that you are doing is not good. You will surely wear out both yourself and these people who are with you, for the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. Furthermore, you shall select out of all the people able men who fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain, and you shall place these over them as leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, of tens. Let them judge the people at all times, and let it be that every major dispute they bring to you, but every minor dispute they settle themselves, so that it will be easier for you, and they will, bring, they will bear the burden with you. Best part, verse 24. So Moses listened to his father-in-law and did all that he had said. So there's a difference between petty criticism and constructive criticism. Petty criticism seeks to tear down and offers no solutions. Constructive criticism offers to build up and offers solutions to the problem. So to be a godly leader, turn your eyes away from petty criticisms and receive the criticism of those who love you, who are seeking to help you, and to build you up. Number six. Bind the ties of love and courage. The godly leader must have the courage to stand for truth and to share that truth in love. The prophet, uh, prophet Elijah demonstrated this well. You see, he served as God's prophet in a time in Israel when a man named Ahab was king and his wife Jezebel ruled the people and led them into uh, pagan worship of this false god named Baal. We often, we know Elijah as the prophet that took on the 450 prophets, right, and called down fire from heaven. We know that story. What we don't know is that before that happened, Elijah used to regularly visit Ahab and call him to repentance in the love of the Lord and to turn back to God and lead the people to worship the one true God of Israel, Yahweh. Well, they refused. They refused. They refused Elijah's loving guidance, and so Elijah came and stood for truth on Mount Carmel. 1 Kings 18, 36-39 describe this. At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifices, after the prophets of Baal had spent the whole day trying to get their fake God to send fire down and burn up their offering, Elijah steps to the platform. Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have all done all of these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their heart back again. Then the fire from the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Godly leaders stand for the Lord. And if you would like to fulfill God's call in your life to be a godly leader, 
you will have that opportunity. You will have an opportunity to stand for the Lord and for his truth. I want to encourage you to do so and to stand for his truth with love. Lead people to Jesus as Elijah had done in turning the people to God. One final one, number seven. Bounce back after you've been knocked down. Anybody in here ever been knocked down before? Life has a habit of knocking us down, doesn't it? The godly leader is resilient. You will make mistakes. You will experience setbacks. There are going to be a lot of days when you're going to want to quit. Godly leaders don't quit. We get back up and we fight a good fight. The Apostle Peter is perhaps one of the most resilient men in the Bible. In Matthew chapter 16, Peter both received Jesus' absolute and supreme blessing, and then at the same time, two verses later, Jesus called him Satan. Almost in the same breath. Matthew 16, verses 15 through 19, Jesus said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, two verses later, in Matthew 16, 21 through 23. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block for me, for you are not setting your mind on God's, in God's interest, but on man's. This happened to Peter several times in his walk with Jesus. Even after this time, Peter would deny Jesus in the company of many. But what happened after that? Soon after, Peter would stand in front of the people of Jerusalem and proclaim the gospel, and thousands of people were saved. Godly leaders bounce back after they've been knocked down. There's no secret, sought-after, seven-step process to getting back up once you've been knocked down. When you're knocked down, you get back up and you follow the Lord. As long as the Lord places you on that platform, you get up, you stand back on the platform, and you lead the way God has called us to lead. I've met a lot of great Christians in my day. God's given me the opportunity to meet 
some of the most important executives at Chick-fil-A. God's called me and given me the opportunity to, to meet wonderful husbands and wives who lead godly families. God's called me to, to hear wonderful teaching, even from children. You know, all of those leaders have one very important thing in common. I want to leave that with you this morning. They were great leaders because they were better followers. They were great leaders because they were followers of Jesus. If we want to lead well, we need to follow Jesus first. So we're going to have a time now of invitation for those of you that are visiting with us. This is a time for you to respond to what God has laid on your heart during this time. Maybe Brother Scott said something or something in the music you heard or through my sermon this morning. Maybe you need to take that first step of faith and be saved. Maybe you want to join this church or maybe you just want to come up here and pray. Whatever it is, in a moment we're all going to stand. We're going to sing a song together. And if God's called you to come forward and pray with us, we'll, we'll do that together. So everyone, would you stand with me now? Heavenly Father, I pray over this time. A time for us to take a step of faith. A moment of decision in response to what your Holy Spirit is doing in our hearts. Help us now to be ready and willing to follow you in this moment. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.